Now, if you've grown up in the Christian tradition, in the Christian faith, Jesus, you will have some answers in your head already going around. For some of us, there's also the reality, Jesus is the one that we knew when we gave our life to. Is he still a significant figure in your life? For some of us, Jesus is the person that we heard stories about growing up, either during bedtime or when we went to Sunday school. Well, we need to answer this question. Who is Jesus to you? So we go back to the passage that Nathan read for us. In verse 21, it talks about at the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, remember, this letter is written to a person called Theophilus, and, and, and Luke's trying to make it very clear. There's a few things going on just in that little statement itself. It's to show that Jesus is following the tradition that was uh, required of him as a good Jewish kid. His parents are God-fearing people. But not only that, it's to show a bigger thing. That the name that is given to him, Jesus, Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is our salvation. It's to point out very clearly that Jesus, his name itself is given by God himself. But it's to show that this great picture is starting to unveil for us. It's like a great story unveiling. And the story is to show this big picture starting to slowly come out, which is who is Jesus? Straight away, Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who is our salvation. In verse 21, it continues and it talks about uh, Jesus being circumcised. That's expected of a Jewish boy. Now these details are to make uh, people like Theophilus and others who are listening into the story to say, okay, this this Jesus is is, uh, following the laws and commandments. His parents are following the good God-fearing people. But not only that, it's a great reminder as the story has been unfolding in the Gospel of Luke that what God says will happen. Because God is the one who's given this name. Because it says that God is the one who named Jesus. What's going on here is to say it is happening. You can trust God's word. What he says will happen. Verses 20 to 24, it shows further about Jesus' earthly parents and Mary and Joseph. They're God-fearing people, good Jewish people. They're doing what's expected of them. And there's this unique thing about this idea of uh, the purification. What, What that's going back to is a book. I'm sure it's probably one of the most read books of the Bible here in this church. It's called the book of Leviticus. I'm sure you've spent hours reading over it. But as much as I joke about it, I would encourage you to go through books like the Old Testament of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus chapter 12, it shows what this is about. God's speaking to Moses and he he says that anyone who who gives birth to a baby, for that particular mom, she's actually going to be unclean for seven days. It's to show that that whole journey is uh, something happens, they're unclean is the language that God uses. But in verse 4, not only that, it says there's this uh, unpacking in Leviticus chapter uh, 12 verse 4, it says, she shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary on the days of her purifying, purifying are completed. So in summary, what's going on is it's saying that, that in that whole process, they become unclean. And it's to say that if you're going to approach God, if you're going to approach anything that's holy, you can't. And unless you go through a process, 
not just cleaning yourself physically, but there's a sense of the need for spiritual cleaning. In chapter 12, again, of Leviticus, in verses 68, it goes a bit more deeper, and it says, when the days of a purifying completed, this mom needs to come, and she needs to either offer a lamb, a year old, or a pigeon or a turtle dove. Now, if she can't afford that, she can bring uh, two turtle doves or two pigeons. And that's what's going on in Joseph and Mary. They're not necessarily well off or they're not being able to afford a lamb. And this is bringing before this priest. They're going through that process. But here is this picture that's going on in this Gospel of Luke. This is almost that uh, for us to approach a holy place, there's this needing of cleansing that needs to happen. Not just physical, but a, a spiritual cleansing. And the language that's used is that there needs to be a shed, uh, blood, blood shed for atonement. And this is why the Gospel of Luke, I think the writer's going into those detail. And in verse 23, there's this awesome statement. This awesome statement is talking about the firstborn is one who opens the womb, is, is one who's been set aside for the Lord. Now remember how a few weeks ago we mentioned that the Old Testament and the things like the law are like a a foreshadow of what is to come. That Jesus fulfills all those things. And it's very easy for us as we read this passage to just sort of skip over it. And I think particularly for those of us who have grown up in the church, for those of us who know Jesus, and particularly on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb, these kind of things we tend to just skip over and go, oh yeah, that's for those people, those Traditions that they had to do. In some sense, I think we're very spoiled. We're very spoiled for those of us who know Jesus. Now, can you imagine on a Sunday morning, if you had to come to church and you had to go through all these kind of rituals to, be, to even enter this building? That meant, guys, if you, you had to have a shower, and guys, that means you would have to use soap, maybe. That might mean that you would have to bring animals to a, a service and, you know, John, Nathan and myself would be around sacrificing these things. This means that, as we saw, Kirsten and Daniel had a little baby. She's not allowed to come to church for at least over 40 days. At least 40 days she can't come in. And if she does, after she goes through all that process, she needs to come through the front door and John and Nathan and myself will be there taking that sacrifice to offer to God. And then she can't even enter the building. She has to go away. So in many ways, we are spoiled on the other side of the cross. I think we lose the significance and the things that we that they had to go through to even approach God. And you and I, some of us, I don't know if you've had a shower this morning. But either way, you can enter because God's looking at the heart. And here in this picture, we have this idea that Jesus is not just a mere child. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Holy One. This is where it talks about the firstborn dedicated to the Lord. This idea of dedication is going back to the Old Testament again in Exodus, where God saves the nation of Israel in a most miraculous way. He actually kills the firstborns of the Egyptians, but he spares the Israelite firstborns as a reminder of God's faithfulness. God made a, a covenant, a, a, an agreement with them to say that they need to dedicate their firstborn. This was a reminder of God's work, His faithfulness. 
His redemption is the language it's used. It is to show that God is the one who comes and saves, the one who's going to save. And it is this amazing picture, if you can imagine, here is Mary and Joseph holding this son of God. And they have no idea that this is the one who will redeem not just them, but all people, every nation, Jew and Gentile. Friends, who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who was said he was going to be born. He's the firstborn. He's the one that has been dedicated for this main purpose to the Lord. And to unpack that further, why Jesus came, who is Jesus? We meet two people, two devout individuals in Simeon and Anna. They're both trusting God. They're waiting for, God, for something from God. They've been waiting for a long time. But both of them declare two significant realities. In verses 25 to 35, we meet Simeon. We introduce to Simeon as someone who's a devout guy. He's righteous. He's been waiting. He's been waiting. Depending on the translation, you have the consolation of Israel. He's been praying to God. And God has promised him something through the Holy Spirit, has supernaturally given him a word to say, hey, listen, you will not die Till you see the Messiah, the promised one. And when he finally meets the one that he's been waiting for, his response is overwhelming. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with worship and he worships God. That's a powerful statement from a man who actually says the words that, God, now you're dismissing me. Or another way to look at it is he's saying, God, now you are freeing me. I am free. I can go die. I have seen salvation. And how can he do that? It's almost a really significant step of faith. Remember, this is before the cross. In a small moment, this man shows a step of faith and he trusts in the God who promises. And what Jesus' arrival is bringing into the focus of why Jesus has come. He has come to bring light, revelation to the nations, both Jew and Gentile. That means everyone. Who is this Jesus? Jesus is the one who's the one who lights everything up brightly and he reveals. And what is he revealing? Well, he actually, Simeon unpacks that as he talks to Joseph and Mary. Verse 33 onwards, we see further what's going on. See, Joseph and Mary, understandably, they're taken aback by what Simeon is saying. What Simeon is saying is that Jesus is set for the falling and rising of many in Israel. It's, it's a sign of being spoken against. What's going on here is, well, through the Gospel of Luke, you will constantly see this language of opposites. The humble are raised. The proud are broken down. Earlier on, the few chapters before, we saw someone who was barren, could not have kids, are blessed with kids. The idea of low are lifted up. They've been waiting for an answer. They've been waiting for the Messiah. Now the answer has come. And you see further into the verse, Simeon is having this interaction with Mary, and he says, a sword will pass through your heart. What he's talking about is he's talking to Mary, but in the midst of that, he even says this interesting comment, says that the many hearts will be revealed. 
This is to unpack for those who are listening in even today that Jesus' purpose for coming into this world, he came as Messiah, he came as Lord, he came as the Son of God, but it's also to show that his mission is very clear, always has been clear. Jesus, who is he? He is the one who will both raise many and destroy others. He's the one who brings good news. He will reveal all the thoughts of those who are listening in, who are listening into what Jesus is teaching, reveal all their heart issues. Nothing will be hidden. Not only that, through the Holy Spirit, Simeon is given this amazing, um, uh, I guess, prophetic word to Mary. And what's going on is that she, he's saying to her, listen, Ultimately, he's saying something's going to happen to you. Your own heart will pierce. And I think Mary doesn't fully get it. Neither does Joseph. I don't think they fully get it. Most of the Gospel of Luke, maybe even later on. What it's saying here is that, Mary, your son's going to die. This son that you are bringing here, he will die. He's been set aside for a purpose. It's going to pierce your heart when you see him physically die. It's the human aspect of this Gospel. But it is very clear for us that Jesus' mission is clear from the start. It has always been clear that he will die. And they don't pick this up for quite a while in the Gospel of Luke. But yet you have this picture going on. It's it's all happening. It's all being revealed now. And then you meet the second person. And she's a prophetess. She's been dedicated her life to ministry. She's a widower. She prays day and night. She's an older woman. <coughs> She's heading towards her last days. She's committed to ministry. She waits and she meets this child that she's been waiting for. And her, her, her whole response is to confess. And she can't but help keep it in. She has to tell everyone. The Messiah has arrived. The redemption of Israel. Uh, this language, again, is an Old Testament language. What it's talking about is that, that idea of the Exodus um, in the book of Exodus where God comes in and he saves the people from their slavery. He redeems them. And she sees this in Jesus. You have two people whose prayers have finally been answered, the one that they've been waiting for. They've seen the Messiah. And they're realizing, and they've been telling us today in 2015, Jesus is the one who brings salvation. Jesus is the one who is the revealer of hearts. Jesus is the one who is the promised one. Of all of Israel, all of the nations have been waiting. He's the one who will redeem people out of their slavery. And maybe in that context, they were not necessarily thinking what that meant necessarily. They were under Roman occupation. But in the long term, as we look through the cross, we realize what that real slavery is. It's in sin. That Jesus is the one who will free us, who is the one who frees us. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? C.S. Lewis, uh, who's an author, he's written an amazing bunch of books. Uh, He's well known for particularly The Lion, Witch on the Wardrobe. He makes this comment in his book, Mere Christianity. If you've not read it, I would highly recommend it to you. It says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, 
but only accept him to, his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. C.S. Lewis wrote that, and it's all aimed to make us think through that Jesus does not leave any option of him just being a moral teacher. From even this early days, Jesus is shown very clearly who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And it's even further unpacked in detail about Jesus' mission and his purpose in verses 39 and 52, where after his dedication, Jesus is growing up, and it's talked about Jesus having growing in wisdom and favor with God, his heavenly Father. We meet Jesus again when he's 12. And for those of you who have kids, you know that story very well. Jesus has gone missing. The amount of times I've talked to parents who've left their kid at a shopping center or at someone else's house, don't feel guilty. I mean, Jesus' earthly parents left his kid, left him somewhere lost. But he wasn't lost. I still would love when I get to heaven and talk to Jesus, what, what was, how did you survive during that time? There's some details I'd love to know. But it is very clear we know what he was doing. In verse 49 in the passage, it says what he is doing. He's engaging with the teachers of the time. He's engaging with the religious guys of the time. And Mary and Joseph, rightly so, are upset. They're quite stressed out. He's been missing for almost three days. And they go up and say, where have you been? What are you doing? And Jesus says, why are you looking for me? Did you know that I must be of in my father's house? Jesus, even from a young age, knew, I think he, I think he, he knew his purpose. He is the perfect one. He is the one who knows his, he has a heavenly father. He's uh, following what his heavenly father wants. He's up there for the heavenly father's business in some sense. And that reality is sinking into Mary and Joseph. But yet Jesus is not some punk kid who's being rebellious. He shows in the passage that he was submissive. He was submissive to his earthly parents. He was not disobedient because he's perfect. He did not sin. And he's growing up not just physically in verse 52. It tells us that he's increasing in wisdom and stature both with God and man. And so we are starting to unpack further who this Jesus is. Both to Luke, he's writing to Theophilus, he's saying to us, listen Theophilus, mate, this, this Jesus is reliable, this Jesus is the Messiah, this is not some just ordinary kid. He is the Son of God. So friends, who is Jesus? Is he the Son of God to you? And not only that, I think we need to understand in the Gospel of Luke, it's really trying to stretch our thoughts through about Jesus and his purpose for coming. I think sometimes we get lost. It sort of washes over us as information. Every Christmas you see, you know, you see all the, 
cute things that come out for Christmas time. The pictures of the baby in a manger and every, all the animals are around and you hear about the songs. You might even sing songs like, Little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. We might sing those kind of carols. But friends, in this passage we're seeing that Jesus made a lot of noise on his arrival. The angels declared his arrival. Not only that, as you see further in the passage, uh, there are people waiting for his arrival, like in Simon and Anna, and they make noise that who is this? This is the Messiah we've been waiting for. This is our Savior. This is Jesus. This is the Savior who went to great lengths so that so you and I could be saved. Not only that, so that you and I will realize our hearts need to be bare open and realize the depths of our sin, the depths that we need a Savior. Did you know, I don't know what you know about Jesus, but did you know that knowing Jesus is not, not, not just about getting out of hell? There's much more than that. Following Jesus, yes, you get eternal life. Neither is it not some sort of thing that you'll just have a little happy life. No. If you truly follow Jesus, if you really start unpacking this, you realize Jesus comes in, invades your soul, he invades your heart, and he lights it up. He makes you realize the salvation you need. Not only that, you need redeeming. You need saving. Because you and I are a mess. We're a glorious mess. How's that for a motivational speaking topic? If you're visiting Canberra Gardens Community Church, guess what? You're a mess. Welcome. You're in a church full of people, full of messes. But we have a Savior who is glorious and great. And he is very good at dealing with messes. He's been doing it for a long time. And this means if you are exploring the Christian faith and if you think to yourself, somehow you have to clean yourself up to get right with God. I've got news for you. You can't. And that is good news. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ forces you to become humble and realize you are in desperate need of a Savior. If you're someone thinking that you need to clean yourself up, you can't. Jesus will and he can. There's no one here in this room who's got it together. And if they say they do, they're lying to you. So you don't need to try to clean yourself up. Jesus is the one who comes in and he helps you. He's the only one who can do it. But we also know that it's not fully in picture yet because we know this. In the Gospel of Luke, there's this constant thing of the now and not yet. So you have one view of uh, Simeon saying, salvation has come. But has salvation technically come? Well, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. But salvation has come. But there's this tension in us. For those of us who know Jesus, there's this tension. Yes, I've, I've received Jesus. He's in my life. There are still junk and things in my life that need to be cut away. And God is doing that. Because Jesus is the one who brings salvation, yes. But he's also the one who reveals and brings redemption and rescues us. And this is good news, whoever you are in Jesus. But the question is, is this the Jesus you worship? Like I mentioned earlier, for some of us, Jesus is almost this idea that you, you just have eternal life and you're just waiting for getting to heaven. But see, when you accept Jesus, as that young man did this weekend at State Youth Games, Jesus begins to work in you. And what he's doing is reshaping your heart. 
He's redeeming it day by day. And if you don't know that, that is actually really good news. Because he's changing you. He doesn't want to just leave you as you are. And sometimes as he changes you, for some of us, that's really tough because some days it feels like spring. Lots of things are going on. You're on fire. Some days it feels like a dry summer and it's not much going on. But God is changing you because he is the one who is the one who reveals. He's the one who brings salvation. He's the one who brings redemption. That is our Savior. And friends, this truth needs to constantly be reminded for us. And this is why at Canterbury we talk about preaching the gospel to yourself often, to remind the weight, weight, uh, width and depth of Jesus Christ. Because I think sometimes we lose it. Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we miss that joy. I don't know if you've ever met an Apple addict. You know an Apple addict? Someone who loves Apple devices. As soon as they have a new Apple device, it's like they become an evangelist for that product. They're talking about it. They're putting it up on their Facebook status. They're Instagramming it. Um, they might even go to bed with it. I don't know. But the point is this. There's almost an evangelism. comes. We're so joyous about it. I don't know if you've ever met someone who's just met Jesus. A few weeks ago, I met a lady who came to, comes to our church. She's not here this morning. but She came in through the door and I was talking to her. And I said, oh, how's it going? Just catching up. And then she goes... Guess what? I've got to show you something. So what is it? She pulls out and she's got a Bible in her hand. This is my first ever Bible I've ever owned. Do you know what my response was? Oh yeah, cool. What a terrible response. Here is a woman who's been caught, been captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ and she's wanting to know more. And here I am who's known Jesus for many years. Oh yeah. Friends, We need to be sure that we're not trying to let this gospel message, this truth of who Jesus is as Messiah, Lord and Savior, the one who redeems, who reveals, who brings salvation, just become information that just washes over us. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm here to tell you, you can stop trying to clean yourself up. You can try. But Jesus is the one who can truly do it in your life. So turn to him. Because once Jesus comes in, he will come in and reveal the depths of your heart. But then he will also make you realize you need Jesus more. You need Jesus more. To your final breath, you will still say, I need Jesus more. That is our Savior. The Christian life is not just about, yes, I've got my ticket to heaven. It's much more deeper than that. The Christian life is saying, once I give my life to Jesus, he comes in, reshapes as the, the one who brings salvation, as the one who reveals, as the one who redeems. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is our Savior. The one who came on your behalf and my behalf. Because you and I can't do it. He is the Son of God. He's the only one who can do it. You and I are not the Son of God, so we can stop trying to be the Messiah. There's only one Messiah, and that's Jesus. So surrender to him. Is this the Jesus that you know? Is this the Jesus that you still worship? Some questions to consider as you head into this week. One, has the gospel message just become a ticket to heaven for you? Has it lost its value? And more importantly, have you lost the person that makes the gospel message come alive? 
You need Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you do not have a gospel message. If that is true, our lungs need to grow, whether whatever season we're in, whether it's in the dark seasons or great joy seasons. In many ways, our responses need to be like Simeon and Anna, that are moved to worship because of who our Savior is. Has Jesus sunk into the background? Has he just become the background noise that you hear on a Sunday or during small group? When I was doing Bible college, that was a constant challenge for me. Do you know that whatever stage of life you're in, whether if you're going through dark times, great times, that Jesus is still the one who's the redeemer, he's the saviour, and he's the revealer of things. So are you looking to him? Thirdly, if you don't know Jesus, and if you feel like you've gone too far off the ledge for some reason, stop trying to clean yourself up. Turn the one who can, because he generally wants to. And church, let's be a church that continues to grow, to be in awe of the width and depth of the love of Jesus, the Son of God. Because who is Jesus? He's the one who, by him, you receive salvation. He's the one who's the revealer of the hearts. And he's the one who continues to redeem people even today. So let's worship that Jesus. I'm going to invite the music team to come up as I pray. Lord Jesus, we come before your throne of grace. We bow at your feet in our hearts and stop. For those of us who have made you a backseat, who have sort of set you in the background, we've lost that awe and wonder of who you are, the one who is the one who brings salvation, the one who is the one who reveals the hearts of men and women. You're the one who redeems. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would become front and center again. For those of us who are exploring you, please make yourself more real to us through your word, through your spirit. And help us to surrender our lives to you. For those of us who are continually growing you, help us to make much of you wherever you've placed us. In Jesus' name, amen.